Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Budd, only on 640 Toronto. And good evening and welcome to the show. My name is Yona Budd. I'll be your host this evening. I'm joined in the studio this evening with by Natasha and Corey, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you feel like joining us this evening, 416-870-6400, or if you're calling from outside the area, 888-225-8255. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you've never uh, listened to the show before, this is um, the show is put together to try to uh, connect one another, uh, people together, and us with others to uh, talk about how to recover from whatever you know, a difficult weekend, difficult week, a couple of years of pandemic, and anything and everything that ails you a little bit. And that's what we're here to do. I am a trained therapist as well as uh, learning to become a broadcaster all at one. So here we are, and more than willing and able to talk to you about the things that bug you. Uh, even if you just uh, just want to, you know, sign off or send off or, you know, just vent a little bit, that's okay too. Or call just to say hi, 416-870-6400, You know, in preparing for the show this evening, you know, we, we, we spend a, a week putting together uh, shows, uh, you know, topics and such for the show, trying to keep up with, you know, things that we think you'd like to hear about and then give it a bit of a, uh, a help, a helping twist to it. That's kind of what this is about here. I, I, I'm kind of speechless, man. I mean, um, you know, we did two years of uh, keeping everybody together during the pandemic. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And, you know, thank God it's gotten better and uh, many less uh much fewer, many fewer people. Uh, it's probably not proper English. Fewer people, um, not uh, not uh, not getting sick. You know, there's there's many, 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 many that are doing well now, and uh, many less in the hospital. I'm just trying to get some composure here because I don't really know where to go with this. It's the the opening segment tonight, and the, probably the first couple of segments is how do we deal with this. Uh, stuff that we're seeing on TV. So the road to recovery goes overseas for the next couple of segments. And um, I want to hear from you, 416-870-6400 or, or 888-225-8255. Um, we're just trying to figure out how to get through it. You know, you turn on a little bit of news or listen to some radio, hopefully, and, uh, you know, uh, read some paper, uh, you know, whatever. You're, you know, obviously, social media has got all kinds of stuff about what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, it just defies any kind of semblance of normalcy or or understanding or you know rationale it's just not you know just not the thing you know and as as we were getting trying to get through the pandemic and you know trying to come out the other side and we felt a little locked down and you know obviously many of us felt secluded and such that we were you know couldn't get out of our homes for months and months and months certainly in the beginning uh, the first year or so of it so we can really imagine and feel the feelings of those that are living in the Ukraine and having to live with, you know, a different kind of life and death situation. So I want to hear how you're feeling and how you're managing with your anxiety and stuff like that. And, you know, if you're sleeping at night, not eating properly, like how are you getting through it? Are you paying attention to it? Is it really keeping you down? We want it. We want to hear from you. 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. But uh, earlier this week on Thursday night, um, I do the I do a segment called Wellness Check uh, on a show called On Point. Uh, usually hosted by Alex Pearson. This week was uh, hosted by Arlene. And um, she uh, and I had a conversation because the question she asked me is, you know, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you get past this yicky feeling in your belly with all that's going on? So just have a listen. 
what are you thinking from your perspective here? I mean, you sit there and you deal with people's individual trauma. We have a collective trauma on our hand. And I know we've already tapped into your wisdom here with the collective trauma of this pandemic, but this is war. I'm using the word primitive. We're feeling it. What are you saying to people and how are you feeling? Well, I'm, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Um, I think that what we're telling people, what, what, what I'm telling people, what we should be telling people is we need to try to keep our lives in perspective. Um, it's important that we recognize that there's horrible things going on in the world and frankly have always been horrible things going on in the world. Um, now it's very upfront and vocal and everyone sees it. Uh, it's a horrific time. There's just no way to make this nice. Um, no. You know, the, 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 at the end of the day, though, um, you know, if I'm to step back from my, you know, step back from, from the media for a little bit and look at my life and look at where I am with my family and my children and my career and the people that I have that love me and that I love, life's pretty good. And it's really important that we try to keep in perspective, not to be callous or cold as it relates to the activities that are in the world around us, but it's very important to be focused on the world we're in. And that necessarily isn't necessarily the global world per se, but the world that we live in day to day and the people that we're involved with day to day. And from that, we should find some comfort, find some joy. And that is a some, that's somewhat of a balance with some of the ugly things that we see in the world. But there's no way to pretend that we're not in a bad place. There's no way to pretend that there aren't uh, horrific humanitarian um, uh, tragedies going on in, in Russia and in, in, uh, in the Ukraine. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's nice to be compassionate. It's nice to be part of uh, a movement of people that feel this is unfair and, un, and, and unjust. Um, and I suggest that rather than being passive, if you want to participate, which really helps our, our mental health, participate in some way, send some relief effort, uh, pack some bags. You know, uh, my, one of my kids in my family are putting together knapsacks and stuff to send to kids. They're shipping them off in the next couple of days. You know, we don't have to be passive. We can be active in a positive way. And at the same time, keeping our lives in balance such that we don't find ourselves trapped in our own bomb shelter, at least in our head, right? So it's recognizing that the world's in a bad place, doing what we can to try to make it a little better so we can sleep at night, feeling we tried to make a difference, but also recognizing our own reality. And frankly, you know, our reality today, you know, at least, you know, where I see us living in Canada and Toronto, um, it's, we're not in a, in, in the same place as, uh, other people in the world that are not doing well. And we need to recognize that. It's one thing to be empathetic. It's another thing to be totally depressed and anxious around things we have no control over. And I think that's really the key, uh, the key, the key at the end of the day, Arlene, is that we really don't have much control over what's happening out there right now. So we can do little things. But uh, prayer is also a good thing if you're into prayer or, or sending messages or writing letters. Anything that makes you feel better about the process um, is what we should be doing. We're not going to make a big change, as I said, but we can make a change in how we perceive, manage, and tolerate what we hear and see. Well, there you go. There's my conversation with uh, Arlene on uh, uh, on point this week. Uh, hopefully it was helpful and give you a bit of advice. I believe we have a caller. We're just waiting to uh, get some information on the caller. We're going to uh, chat with them uh, if we get them up sooner than later. But, uh, you know, where, where are we going with all this, right? Like, so I'll give you some tips on, on what to do and kind of how to, how to take care of uh, <clears throat> yourself through all of this. But, you know, we're going to feel anxious. We're going to feel, you know, horrified. We're going to feel, you know, like there's not much we can do and the trick is being able to actually do something 
right? Which is uh, what's what's critical at the end of the day here. Um, and I, I think that you know what we what we need to probably figure out here is um, how you're going to cope because this isn't going away anytime real soon. And um, and you know how how are we going to get past you know this feeling? Uh, for us to be able to uh, carry on and know where we are in the world and realizing what's going on, you know, with, with, you know, everything around us, yet still being able to cope and function and, and try to get some good out of the day, right? Um, try to be able to do what you feel like you're able to do. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, being able to make sure that you're, um, you know, you're, you're in a place where you're able to, um, you know, kind of just, Get your head turned around. Anyway, we have a, we have a caller. His name is Mustafa. We're going to ask Mustafa if you'd be kind enough just to hold over the break. And when we come back from break here, we're going to talk about what you can do, right? Like, what can you do to just try to get through this and make yourself feel like we're doing something? Because I think if we feel like you're doing something, you're going to feel somewhat better. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Welcome back. This is Yona Bud on Road to Recovery here on 640 Toronto, where if you are just joining us for the first time, we're talking about how to get past the uh, feeling of helplessness, loneliness, uh, anger, frustration, anxiety, fear that we see watching what's unfolding across the pond. So Road to Recovery has gone across the pond a little bit for the first couple of segments to talk about uh, what we can do to support uh, the effort in the Ukraine and therefore feeling like we're actually doing something to make a difference. I believe we have a guest on uh, the, or a caller on the uh, line. His name is Mustafa. He's kind enough to wait for us. Mustafa, thank you for joining us this evening and uh, how are you doing? Is he still with us? Okay. Well, we're going to try to find Mustafa, and when he does, we're going to get him on the air with us. So what can you do, right? What is it that you're able to do to get past this and feel like you're actually doing something? More than a million Ukrainians have actually fled their country. I saw something earlier today uh, on a news bite um, from CNN that was they interviewed uh, a woman who was talking about the fact that, you know, a million or so Ukrainians have, have fled, but there's 30 or 40 million that have stayed behind. Um, you know, this is a remarkable uh, sign of resilience and determination and the quote unquote David over Goliath scenario where in fact, you know, you can see that the little ones are really fighting hard to take the big bad monster down. And uh, in fact, <clears throat> that's what we're dealing with, a big bad monster. And it's really scary to see this unfold, but there's things we need to do. You can't just sit back and if you're sitting back and it's making you, you know, it's frustrating you because you feel like there's something you want to do and can't. That's what we're going to talk about in this next little segment here about things you could do to actually make a difference and make yourself feel like you're making a difference or at least contributing, right? So uh, as the world watches the displacement, you know, Canada itself is ready to accept refugees, Ukrainian refugees. And on Thursday, the immigration minister... Uh, Sean Fraser said that uh, expedited temporary visas and so on. So making it much, much easier for people from the Ukraine to either stay here if they are here or uh, come here without a whole lot of questions asked and uh, essentially stay as long as you like. And um, from what we see, and if you want to make permanent uh, application, 
I believe that's going to be expedited to some degree as well. Uh, so how do you get involved? Here's a list of some like charities and stuff that we could be doing as Canadians, as, as Torontonians, things that we can do to make a difference. So I'll tell you what Airbnb is doing. The, the vacation rental company, they're, they're making, uh, they're uh, making available at no cost uh, up to a hundred thousand, um, short-term housing, uh, facilities available for up to a hundred thousand Ukrainian refugees. And it'll be funded by the company and any donors that, uh, are go to host refugees. So that's, uh, there's an airbnb.org forward slash help Ukraine uh, section here where you can make a contribution. If you don't think you can pack bags and send food and do that kind of stuff, just write a check, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is you can afford, more if you have it. Um, and, you know, we're trying to share some uh, re- reputable um, facilities and organizations that uh, structures that you can actually make a contribution through that are safe and actually the money gets to the people that need to have it when they need it. Canadian Food Grains Bank, um, they have a program with uh, the government where whatever you put, whatever you donate to them, uh, four times matched by the government. <clears throat> uh, the Canadian Ukraine Foundation, uh, they've raised over $4 million. Um, the donations are being set up for food packages and medicine and shelters. It's called the uh, Ukraine Humanitarian Appeal. You can also Google that or search it and um, make get access to make donations, get involved. Uh, Canadian Red Cross, always in the right place at the right time. Uh, they're uh, working on a program to donate $10 million as a collective uh, towards the campaign to help uh, refugees and those staying in the Ukraine. Uh, Children of the Earth is uh, and One Humanitarian one Humanity Institute. They have a GoFundMe page set up to provide. Um, they've near the two organizations, Go um, Children on Earth and uh, uh, One Humanity Institute together have raised um, about twenty million uh, for teddy bears. They, you, you buy these twenty excuse me twenty thousand um, dollars selling teddy teddy bears. You can buy these. And they're really cute. I went online to look at them. Uh, thirty bucks, and uh, that money goes directly to uh, help uh, families and kids that are in shelters uh, in the Ukraine. <clears throat> the, there's something called the Return Alive Foundation where you can make donations. Friends of Ukraine Defense Fund, uh, that's money going directly to uh, soldiers. Like These are things you can do. I'm not just sitting here trying to raise money for these people, but hopefully if it, if it helps, great. Then let's do that. 416-870-6400-888-225-8255. Want to hear from you. What are you doing to get past it? How's it making you feel? You feel lost like there's something you can do and um, you know, you're not sure, so that's what this is about. I'm giving you action. We don't have to be victims. We don't have to sit back and watch the bully. We can take some action. And these are the kinds of things we can do here without strapping on a weapon over there. Right? So uh, Friends of Ukraine Defense Fund, they're raising money, um, humanitarian aid that goes directly to those in the armed forces, uh, displaced people, casual, those uh, resulting in casualty and so on, their kids. Uh, the soldiers' kids. Uh, global, now, now we have soldiers. You're talking about a guy who yesterday was a teacher and the day before might have been a doctor, but today he's a soldier or she's a soldier. Tons of women, tons of men, tons of kids, like teenagers. They're soldiers. They're standing up for their country. They're doing whatever they need to do so they can sleep at night saying, at least we tried. And I do believe in the David over Goliath scenario. I'm a big Rocky Balboa kind of guy, right? That's our, our lead-in song for our show because I do believe that that small can triumph over big if it's the right direction and motivated by the right sense of right and wrong. And clearly, our, our Ukrainian friends and brothers and sisters, um, that there's no argument whether they should be uh, in the midst of a war or not. Clearly, they're just victim. They're just victims. They 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 weren't even at the fight in the parking lot. 
so the bad guys came looking for them because they didn't show up to the fight in the parking lot because they didn't want to fight. So the bad guys came knocking on their doors, looking in their homes, trying to find them so they could drag them out to the parking lot and make them fight. It's, there's nothing right about this. Another organization called Global Giving, Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. Uh, they're aiming to raise $9 million, donations going towards Ukrainian communities, food, shelter, clean water, that kind of stuff. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Global Medical Organization, Ukraine Conflict Response Teams, uh, providing medical care. Help us help. It's a Canadian charity founded in 1993, and they focus on humanitarian aid in Ukraine and Canada. Donations go, na- go to provide tools and resources uh, for uh, veterans and disadvantaged youth. The charity's raised over $25 million in the past 25 years. International, these are all legitimate organizations that we can get involved in, that you can get involved in, that I can get involved in, where we can actually make a difference by sending money and doing the right thing. Um, uh, Kiev Independent is a Ukraine-based news outlet. They've raised probably, uh, I think, $1.5 million um, to, on their GoFundMe page just so they can keep reporting on what's going on. Um, they've been shut down clearly when you saw the, the blast in the, in, the, in the radio station. I believe now they're broadcasting from uh, um, under, uh, under duress in uh, shelters and such. Doctors Without Borders, always a good organization. UNICEF, always a good organization. Uh, Save the Children. You know, these people have been around for decades and decades and decades. I remember when I was a kid, we used to raise money for UNICEF when we used to go out on Halloween and, you know, get change and and, uh, bring the boxes back to school. And, you you know, big deal that we raise all this kind of money for for, uh, relief around the world. They're still out there doing it. United Nations Crisis Relief Fund, Ukraine um, Humanitarian Fund, World Vision Canada, Ukraine Crisis Response Fund. You know, there's all these things, Voices of the Children, there's all these organizations. You want to just send them a little bit of money or get involved with some of these organizations, some of these um, faith-based organizations that are packing knapsacks and putting together food supplies and, you know, uh, sending, uh, you know, folding beds and, you know, uh, sleeping bags and toys for kids. Oh, my God, there's so many kids there that would that need toys and games and just stuff to distract them from this horrific reality that they've, they're forced to live with, right? It's just... I don't know. We're just in a really bad place at a really, really bad time. And, um, you know, where we go from here, I think, as a, as a, as a, as a world, as a, a world society, has everything to do with what comes out of this, um, this uh, conflict. Can't leave these people alone. Can't leave them on their own. It's not fair. It's not right. If there was a bully in your neighborhood, I'm sure you'd show up to walk the kids to school to make sure the bully didn't steal their lunch. This bully doesn't want to just steal their lunch and eat it. This bully wants to steal their lunch and kill it, throw it on garbage, step on it, right? Just so that they can't have it, not because he wants it. I'm talking about Putin here, if you don't catch the analogy. He just wants their lunch so he can throw it in the garbage. You can see he's throwing the country in the garbage. He's just destroying it for no valid reason. Anyway, we're going to move past this. We're going to try to get to a better place on the other side. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the new normal, talk about executions and death and so on. We're seeing it in our schools now, and the kids are getting younger and younger. I have an expert that's going to join us to talk about that as soon as we come back from break. Yonabad, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yonabad. On 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show. This is Jonah Budd. You're listening to Road to Recovery on 640 Toronto. Thank you for joining us. I know you have other choices, and we're glad that you chose us. You know, um, there's, there's a whole discussion about uh, v- violence and, and gun activity. 
amongst youth in Toronto, um, in, in the world for that, well, North America for that matter. But certainly, um, you know, we, we really need to look at this <clears throat> as something that we can't just kind of take as, as the article talks about as a new normal. And the story goes on to talk about Sandra Co- uh, Costain. She can list the names easily. They're, they're never far from her mind. Sealand White, 15 in 2010. Uh, Tyson Bailey, 15 in 2013. Mackay Bishop Jackson, 15 in 2018. Three young boys shot dead in Regent Park, all unresolved murders to this day. Their work, um, they are who she th- is thinking of after the 18-year-old uh, Jaheem Robinson was shot in the halls <coughs> excuse me, of the Scarborough High School last week, or earlier this month. And when police called an execution alleged by a shot, the shooter was a 14-year-old boy. This can't be our new normal, says Costain, the director of children and youth at Dixon Hall Neighborhood Services, a social services organization that supports at-risk youth in the downtown east. This year has already been a bad one for youth, both as victims and alleged perpetrators of gun violence in Toronto. In January, a 15-year-old boy was allegedly shot to death by a 13-year-old. I'm sure you all remember. We talked about it on one of our shows here. Uh, weeks earlier, 19-year-old uh, Malachi Elijah Bainbridge was allegedly gunned down in a parking lot by a 16-year-old, accompanied by a 16-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. Uh, for much of the pandemic, many of these in-person youth services that are available to kids just haven't been available. So kids are, you know, really getting angry, not having a place to lash out, not having a place to go and vent and talk, play ball, do whatever it is they needed to do to make themselves uh, feel a little better and not act out in the violent way that we're seeing on the streets. Uh, all the social media stuff, a little supervision, no scheduling, uh, Costain goes on to say, no interacting uh, with uh, with each other, no opportunities to connect. It's a recipe for disaster, and that's what we're seeing uh, right now. I brought a guest, We have a guest joining us this evening, uh, very kind of him to join us. His name is Scott McKean. He's the lead of Safe TO, uh, which is Community Safety and Wellbeing uh, Planning for Toronto. Scott, thank you for joining us this evening. How are you? Great, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on your show, Yona. I really appreciate it. So, Scott, we, we've um, I've been talking about guns and gangs and such since I started radio about four years ago. We've had the likes of Marcel Wilson and Louis Marsh and uh, others that you know, I'm sure, uh, <clears throat> ministers and people from police and trying to kick around the same conversation. You know, kids are getting younger. They're doing stupider things, more violent things, um, things based more on ego than on, you know, turf or drug money or anything like that. Um, so kind of give me a, a lead into, you know, you got a, a big job. What's SafeTO? What's the perspective on where they see us today and how are we going to get through this and to what extent do you think you can uh, make a big difference? Well, first and foremost, again, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I really respect, actually, that you talk weekly about, you know, recovery and, and mental health and the impact of, you know, adverse experiences and trauma and, and, and explore these issues. I think it's really important. I think it's really related to the topic that uh, that we're breaking open here tonight around gun violence. And so, first and foremost, just so you know who I am um, at the City of Toronto, I have been leading the development of SafeTO, which is a 10-year community safety and well-being plan that council has now given direction to staff to implement. And um, SafeTO was developed in consultation with uh, a number of community members, many of actually who you listed off in your yeah. in your list of people that you've had on your show. Um, and, you know, between community and council, we've been given a clear mandate, you know, to rethink differently about how we think about safety by thinking about the well-being of people and really um, not only looking at, you know, the crime aspects, but actually what 
you know, what, what contributes to that? You know, the inequities uh, in our city, um, the racism, the poverty, uh, you know, the, the trauma that's experienced by, by communities at an individual level and at a community level. And to, you know, to work with community to address those and, and manifest like solutions from within the community. And so the work ahead is to really, um, you know, we have a, we have seven goals and 26 actions, which, you know, are, are big, you know, big directions that we want to go as a city, but our, our immediate action is to actually to build it out with community. And, you know, the, those that we consulted gave us a clear mandate that, you know, we need to include community in the solution and we need to put them at the center of, of how we build this out. Uh, the timeline you said of 10 years, how far into it are you, uh, Scott? We just, uh, the year one implementation plan just literally uh, was approved by council in February. And so over the course of 2022, we're zeroing in um, on, you know, building out some of the efforts that the city is mobilizing around gun violence. So the expansion of our community crisis response program and some investment in community in terms of uh, well-being and recovery supports. Uh, the city has been partnering with a number of community agencies to ensure that communities impacted by violence have, uh, you know, the, have the ability, you know, to access immediate, you know, culturally relevant and trauma-informed supports. And then over the course of the year, we'll be building out uh, some alternative uh, approaches to providing mental health supports on a 24-7 basis through the implementation of a community crisis support service. And then also uh, on the gun violence front, building a, a multi-sector office, Toronto office to prevent gun violence that brings together um, you know, a number of different kinds of stakeholders and community partners to you know, redevelop and re reimagine how we respond to gun violence in this city. Well, first of all, if you're here right now, I'd give you a giant hug. I know it's probably not pandemic uh, proper, but uh, I'd give you a giant hug because you're just going to make me cry. You sound a little bit like Louis, and, uh, you know, that's a good thing. You know, he talks about bringing stakeholders together, and when your side of the fence and his side of the fence get together and become the same fence, we have a real chance here, and uh, and good luck. You know, I, I'm really glad. I, I lots more, like a bunch more questions here. We got some more time, lots more time. So, uh, I here, here's the thing: the, the, the when you talk to to the experts, you know, Louis and, and Marcel, and I'm sure you, you know, Louis says it's not about getting to the roots; it's about getting to the seeds. Um, what's the what's the plan for for SafeTO uh, in terms of you know I do a lot of work obviously with with youth and such and have for many years the you know which is why it's you know something I'm keen on and talking about and uh, trying to see if we can help and make a difference but you know at the end of the day kids need a place to go and hubs seem to be what are working the problem is that for the most part um you know the facilities available to let's say young people we're talking about 12 to 18 year olds here for all intents and purposes 19 year olds you know for them to have a safe place to go they're closed by eight or nine o'clock in the evening and that's really when the bad guys come out to play so you know what's what do you think the plan is or what is it is it front of mind or top of mind 
excited for you all to be looking at places where kids can go, young people can go as an alternative, like late night basketball or drop in centers or pizza and movies. Like all this stuff works. I've run, I've run private centers, uh, for kids before. We saw 2,000 kids a year out of a facility called Hope House Youth Charities. We used to help them with their homework, give them free food, pizza. They teach them how to cook. You know, we saw 30, 40, 50 kids a night in a facility. Like it worked, right? We just, it was private. We just couldn't sustain it for long term. But is, are you guys looking at this kind of stuff? 100%. You know, and thanks for the virtual hug or the hug through the phone. It's definitely <laughs> felt. And I'll give it back to you. Um, you know, as someone who's focused in on healing, I think, you know, your question about space is really important, you know. And one of the things that, you know, from a city's perspective is, you know, we do invest in, in recreational facilities like libraries. And our partner organizations such as Toronto Community Housing have done some of the things that you talked about in terms of late night basketball and creating that access, you know, that sort of accessible space. Now, the COVID pandemic is, uh, you know, yeah. threw a wrench in everyone's lives and including yeah. the accessible space. And, you know, as Sandra Costain um, and actually Sandra Costain hired me at Dixon Hall many years ago. So I, oh, I'm familiar wow. with, uh, you know, with the, the folks in the article. And so when, you know, when she talked about, you know, um, you know, creating that, like that, that sort of access and creating opportunities for young people, you know, and the, the impact of the pandemic on there, it, it really kind of, you know, impacted the ability for young people to participate in safe space. And so I think, you know, an immediate learning is pandemic or no pandemic, we need to be where young people are and create safe, accessible avenues, whether it's you know, in, in a facility like a community center or, or actually within the community. And so as we rethink this, you know, and, and look at, you know, successes like Toronto Community Housing had with their, their midnight basketball program, like we have to make sure that, you know, we're in consultation with young people looking at where and when they want to engage, you know, and I think the tricky part with an issue of gun violence is, you know, it's almost like, all the time, right? So you you yeah. need to think about you know how do we better support families and and make yeah. sure that families have the ability to support one another. How do we build capacity of residents and provide tools uh, to help residents support one another better? Like so, for example, in you know in, in a particular community in the city, we we did a we ran a pilot where we were training moms uh, with psychological first aid. And oh, not, wow. like, not not to be like mental health providers. No, no, no. I get actually it. Just support one another. And they started training yeah. each other and it really had a significant impact. And currently our youth development unit at the city is, you know, running a, a program called the community healing project in which we're working with young people, you know, who have lived experience um, of violence and lived experience of anti-black racism in the city. And, and they're becoming trained facilitators of, of healing practices and mindfulness. And they're working in communities across the city to be able to, you know, to support one another. And just like those kind of efforts where, you know, we're working with community and that, that's something they told us they wanted directly and enabling that and allowing that to happen. Um, you know, in addition to like late night access and looking at those hours, like we, we have to build in like avenues for communities to support one another at all times. Well, I tell you, it's very encouraging conversation for sure. And um, 
I, I, I believe, you know, I'd like, first of all, just straight up, I'd like to volunteer if there's an opportunity for me to come and talk to a group of people one, one evening or one Sunday or something. I'm, I'll volunteer my time anytime to, to do a, seg- a session or some training segments on getting through, uh, you know, crisis times and so on. But, you know, I, I, I just, I, I love where this is going. My, my, you know, my concern just to be a little bit, you know, I kind of that, uh, that guy that kind of sees both sides of the, of the, of the puzzle. Um, but, you know, it's timing, right? It's going to be all about timing. Um, and then the whole issue of what we give kids is an alternative, right? So, you know, there's an advantage, you know, the, the advantage to carrying a gun and, and, and being involved in gun violence is, you know, you get all kinds of, of extra credibility and such from it. And, you know, you, you get yourself kind of boosted in the community of bad guys, uh, so to speak. So we, we, you know, Marcel and I and, 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 the, and, the, and the crew have always been talking about ways to give young people that attaboy Billy or way to go Jane kind of uh, medal on a daily basis right that you know you're doing well you, you know here's something for to show you that you're moving in the right direction you know it, it's a world of you know what do i what am i getting you know i spoke to a a 14 year old kid from a, a a you know a neighborhood that was seeing a lot of gun violence not long ago and i said you know you know here's some alternatives and he said dude like you know i'm just not going to make that kind of money you know working at the things you're talking about and, you know, he was talking about making four or five hundred bucks a week, you know, doing stuff that he shouldn't. I mean, at, at that, at that age, that's a lot of money. Um, so, you know, giving them an, giving people, young people an alternative to something that shows value, giving them some value, some unfortunately material or otherwise is, seems to be the way to go. Um, that's how we're kind of starting to look at it. Is that, is that kind of on the radar anywhere in, in the thinking of, uh, of plans to, uh, kind of engage kids and, and get them more involved in things that are positive versus, the stuff they're doing now? Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of examples. So I I mentioned a a few moments ago the Community Healing Project uh, as an example. And so one of the folks that supports that is like a really well-known sort of community benefits worker named Brandon Hay, who's done all sort of very innovative stuff with like, you know, the Black Daddies Club and, 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 and other things like that. And what he's actually trying to do is as we build the skill set within young people, you know, to like make positive change in their community, that we also further um, create economic development opportunities. And so starting working with the private sector and corporate sector to inject that mindfulness and um, that, that sort of community healing in there, but actually from those with lived experience that are most impacted by, by this kind of stuff. That's one of many examples. I think the other point that you, you really made and I, you know, in, in my, my conversations with Marcel, this comes up a lot. Uh, you know, you talked about the competitiveness between, you know, you know, good, is, choice, is good choice program, and bad choice. Yeah. Or is a program going to cut it when, you know, uh, maybe, you know, like an illegal activity could pay a lot more than getting involved in a, a regular job or opportunity. And I think, Something that came up when we were consulting on SafeTO was the concept of identity and yeah. the sense of belonging in our city. Yeah. And I yeah. think if we can combine the sense of belonging um, and and equity along with these kind of opportunities and and almost like inspire that kind of uh, you know those processes like hope or you know yep. Uh, yep. you know those those kind of things. I think that's where the real opportunity is, is in front of us. And, you know, and I think that really illuminated to me in some of the work that I've done with communities, because 
you know, there, there are people who are just champions and leaders within their community, and there's people who are hurt, whether individually or community level. And we need to, uh, we need to be able to address that full on. I got to, you know, Scott, I'd like to, I'd like to have you come back. Are you okay to come back another night and uh, continue? Cause we, we run out of time and I just don't feel like we've even gotten started. Um, but if you can make yourself available, I'll have uh, our production team reach out and we'll do, we'll do this again if that works for you. For sure. I'd be honored to come back on. Thank you uh, so much. My, my pleasure. I'm talking to Scott McKean, one of the good guys. He's the lead of safety, community and safety and well-being planning for Toronto and uh, saying all the right things. And I'm sure going to make sure that we do all the right things. We ran over here a little bit, so we got to do some ads and we come back and do a short segment. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This is Yona Bud. You are on the Road to Recovery here at 640 Toronto. Really appreciate you joining us and being a part of what's going on. 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255 if you want to join us and be a part of what we're talking about. Just had a great guest from the City of Toronto talking about guns and gangs and youth violence and uh, saying all the right things, man. So, I got you know, guy turned my frown upside down. I want to try to do the same with you right now. we got a little bit of time left. I want to talk about some... Effect, a new effective way to treat gaming and internet addiction in teens. Uh, the World Health Organization has now classified it as a disease. So uh, as a result, there's now using cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Been using it for years uh, in our practices, but uh, they're now using cognitive behavioral therapy, an approach that's called professional use of technical media. There was a reduction in the severity of symptoms of both gaming and internet disorders. Results of the trial showed that the Protect inv- intervention effectively reduced symptoms of gaming disorder and unspecified internet use disorder over 12 months. So, bottom line, cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy is about glass half full, not half empty, right? A total of 422 high school students from 33 different schools aged 12 and 18 years old were involved in the study. Of these, 167 were enrolled in a PROTECT course, while 255 were used as a control group with no PROTECT training given, right? So remember, the PROTECT training is all part of this cognitive behavioral therapy uh, program designed against symptoms for gaming and Internet disorders. Uh, The PROTECT course is delivered by trained psychologists, consists of a 90 of 90 minute four 90 minute sessions as with other cbt techniques it tries to change negative patterns of thinking in order to shift behavior in this case risk factors such as boredom motivational problems and social anxiety were tackled in the approach after a year the researchers found the severity of the symptoms of gaming and internet disorder had actually dropped by 39.8 percent in the protect group compared with 27.7% from the control group. However, there was no significant difference between the two groups as it relates to incidences uh, of uh, that, of the, of the um, internet abuse use uh, during that same year. I'm not sure exactly what that means. What happens in the brain, they say, with these types of addictions is that the, is similar to what happens in the brain of people who are addicted to substances like drugs or alcohol. Research, researchers think it's about the same thing. Uh, 4.6% of people are taught, uh, to have a gaming, are thought to have a gaming disorder with the prevalence of those with internet use disorders around 6%. Large number of people have issues with their screens by the looks of it, right? 
Uh, further down the line, the researchers want to see further studies that involve more students and higher risk groups uh, to look at this program. Given the incidences rates for the two conditions didn't drop over the course of 12 months, the team suggests that stopping addictive behaviors at the earliest possible opportunity is the best route forward. Typically, prevention should start before symptom manifestation, of course. So when you see your kids kind of acting out in a way that doesn't look like it's good for them and like they're doing all the right things, this is the time to step in, right? So intervention, getting involved early on. But it's nice to know that there's some modalities. In other words, there's some form of, um, you know, some form of process to treat this form of, of uh, behavior such that there's, a, you know, that there's a, some, some standard, right? Um, having a standard modality makes treatment so much easier. You know, when therapists have a go-to process, like mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, DBT, other forms of talk therapy modalities. So it's, it's, a, it's a method, a, a style by which or a process by which a therapist delivers uh, therapy to particular patients and people in need. So uh, using cognitive behavioral therapy, we're finding also neurofeedback therapy works really well as well. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with uh, ways to provide young people with other forms of reward uh, other than gaming, um, using computers for other things things so that they're turning bad into good, uh, using it for good, not for evil, and so on. It seems to be an approach that for many people um, is, is somewhat effective. So we're going to see what it's like going forward, and uh, we'll follow it and keep you up to date. It comes from uh, one of the articles I get from the uh, association in the United States that I attend. Uh, I'm a member of and have been for years for uh, uh, addiction counselors and crisis therapists and uh, so on. So we get a whole bunch of stuff that you don't typically see in the news. They're usually reports and such that I try to bring to the table and just share with you in a, a simple way so it makes it a little easier to understand. Wow, what a first hour. I'm a little out of breath, to be honest with you. We've got such a gamut. We started with the conversation about, you know, the war in the Ukraine. We finished with a really, you know, I think some some really, you know, positive information about, uh, you know, gaming addiction and listening to some folk, so to a a really cool guy from the city of Toronto in terms of how we're going to deal with youth gun gun violence. See, we're turning that frown upside down just a little bit in our own little world. And the little world that we reach here at 640 Toronto, we're just trying to make that much of our little world a little bit better. And if so, then maybe it spills over and gives us the strength we need to have a better day tomorrow. We'll be right back. It's going to be a longer break. So now you can get up, stretch your legs, go have a drink, do what it is you need to do. We'll be back in, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, ten minutes, something like that, and uh, do some more stuff. Yona Bud here, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show. You're on the Road to Recovery with Yona Bud here on Global News 640 Toronto. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. If you want to uh, chime in and uh, share any information or thoughts, ideas, comments, anything like that, it's an interactive show. We want to hear from you anytime. We're glad to uh, take your calls. Um, 
you know, we are, are at a point where there's a lot of uh, domestic issues going on, family issues, family court issues, um, divorce, separation. People are learning, uh, many more people, I believe, learning that uh, maybe they can't live together so well since uh, they're living under difficult circumstances over the last couple of years while being locked down during the pandemic. Um, and there's a conversation uh, roaming around about uh, divorce lawyers and um, how they actually hear. And, and, you know, I deal, obviously, in, in my practice, we deal with situations often where people, patients, uh, have issues with uh, custody or separation or getting out of a bad situation, being a bad marriage, bad uh, relationship. Um, and I often send uh, patients, communicate with um, uh, family lawyers to try to get them the best care that they can and the best representation and, ad- and the best advocates we can. Um, but, you know, it's difficult for a lot of um, attorneys, a lot of lawyers to deal with family-related devastation. Uh, you know, the psychological stuff, the stuff that we're talking about here is the emotional stuff around around, um, you know, what, what separation and divorce looks like for a lot of people, major depression, right? Severe anxiety, extreme levels of stress. These are the kinds of things that most clients that visit a divorce lawyer or a family lawyer, I'm sure, uh, share and, and, and have to deal with day by day. The question is, are the lawyers themselves trained and capable and ready to deal with some of the more complicated stuff that aren't so, isn't so straightforward as it relates to law itself. Uh, my guest this evening is Leanna Townsend. She's the counsel and chair of the Family Law Group at Mills and Mills LLP. They're barristers and solicitors. <clears throat> She's joining us this evening. Thank you, Leanna, for joining us and staying up so late. How are you tonight? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So, you know, there's a lot of conversation, um, and, and I've, you know, obviously I, I, um, I, it's nice to know that there's a family law group at Mills and Mills. It now opens up the opportunity for me to send people elsewhere as well, but hard to find a good, uh, family lawyer who gets it, who understands the needs of the, uh, emotional and mental health relationship, uh, between the situation, the legal situation they're in and their clients slash, pay, you know, our patients, their clients, um, well-being. Um, how is that any different today than it was, let's say, a couple of years ago before the pandemic um, kind of locked us all down and made us look from the inside out, so to speak? Well, I think that right now a lot of people, you know, just generally are going through really tough times and there's, you know, a rise in mental health issues you know, uh, generally across the population as a result of, you know, the lockdown and just everything going on in the world right now. And so, you know, that is carrying over into the family law world. And I've found over the last couple of years, my practice has been you know, busier than ever. And it just seems to be nastier. There's more conflict and people are, yeah. there's a higher yeah. level of distress amongst clients. And so, you know, it's definitely showing up uh, you know, in the courts and uh, in the family law space. Uh, you know, one of the articles, uh, the article goes on to say here that um, lawyers end up turning themselves into sounding boards without offering a lot of uh, a lot more than just an empathetic nod or a tissue or something. And then, the, you know, some some lawyers, as it goes on to say, divorce lawyers that do try to address any psychological component of the client's life are dangerously overstepping their role as a legal advisor and can create more harm than good. You know, I don't buy that, right? See, I, I, I've I've worked with lawyers. I've been in practice for a lot of decades, you know, over four decades, and uh, <clears throat> worked with a lot of different lawyers 
lawyers and a lot of different firms doing a lot of great work. Uh, you know, I was trained years ago under a guy named Stanley of Ruskin, who was one of the first uh, advocates for kids. He was uh, one of the first uh, official guardian uh, type lawyers way back when, uh, you know, a long, long time ago. So I've been around this for a long time. And, you know, uh, it's, it, they're and really great lawyers do a great job of understanding their patients or their clients, listening to what they have to say, providing them with, you know, referrals to people like me and other forms of therapeutic solutions and so on. Um, that's, you know, that seems to be the best place for them to, to practice. Now we're talking about the possibilities of, of lawyers now adding a, a, a segment in their education moving forward and training for those that are already called to the bar and practicing around being, you know, a little more psychological training and a little more around kind of handholding therapeutically and so on. Good idea or not a good idea? I, I think it's a good idea. Um, a lot of the job of a family law lawyer, um, you know, at times is providing some level of emotional support to clients. And I think if you like, you know, in my case, I've kind of in my own life had certain issues I've had to work through and I've been very open to, you know, therapy and things like that. And so I have had exposure to a, a lot of different um you know, modalities that, that I use. And so I don't, obviously with clients, I don't act like a therapist and, and use those, you know, types of things, but I'm, I'm aware of them and know how to direct people to them. Um, but if somebody who, you know, perhaps hadn't been through some of the life experiences that I've been through and they're a lawyer and they're just starting out and they're younger as well and maybe don't have experience dealing with people as much who are in distress, I think that, you know, to some level of, you know, training on how to deal with people who are highly distressed or people who are traumatized or people who are suffering from PTSD would be helpful um, for for all family lawyers um, because the reality is like that we are dealing with people who are, you know, in some cases they could be suicidal. They, you know, they have, it could be an active addiction. Like there's all sorts of things that could be going on. And if you don't handle it properly, you could make a situation much worse for somebody. And, you know, somebody goes and shoots their wife, their ex-wife and, you know, and blows themselves up as well. And so the consequences can be quite significant if something isn't handled properly. Yeah, so it's knowing, you know, it's knowing when to stop and start, right? I mean, I get people asking me legal questions all the time because I've, you know, been involved in, you know, hundreds of cases as a as a criminal, as a uh, an investigator with family related stuff, custody battles, and so on. So, <clears throat> but I know the line. I know where I shouldn't be trying to practice law and where I should be trying to, you know, give a little bit of advice. It's hard to find that fine line because you know that you really want to help a lot, right? So it makes it difficult. And, and I got I got to tell you, just listening to you and hearing the, the the real empathy and the 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 realness in your voice, like that's what it takes. It takes people like you to talk to people that are going through that kind of stuff and say, hey, you know what? I'm not a therapist, but you know, I was going through a rough time not so long ago, and this is what really worked for me. Like, I think that's so real and so special and makes you so remarkable in your... Forget about what kind of law you practice, just the kind of person I want to send people to because you get it, you understand it because you're, you know, you're living, you're not, you're not, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing what you've lived through as opposed to, you know, I'm a lawyer, I came from a, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in an ivory tower, so to speak, somewhere, and, you know, I don't really get it. Um, 
we got to find more people like you or train more people like you to draw from their life experiences. I think you're absolutely right. Some training would be great, but you know, a lot of these young guys and gals that are in, you know, law school, you know, a whole bunch of them I've, I've known over the years of practice when they were in high school and and first year in the university. Now they're, you know, starting to practice law. A lot of them have like remarkable life experiences that they've lived through and done well and thrived as a result of getting good help. Like that's what they need to draw from. Right. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, all of us in our work, we draw on our own personal experience. And so if you've been through, you know, something yourself, I always think, you know, as a divorce lawyer, I am divorced. So I know what it's like to be divorced. I understand, yeah. you know, how that feels and, and how the stresses of it. And I think that that does make me a better lawyer because I can relate to what my clients are going through. And, you know, same thing with other types of professions. And, you know, often people who do therapeutic work with people in, who have addiction issues, they went through an addiction, you know, issue themselves potentially. And, and so yep. they relate. And so, you know, I definitely think that's true. And we, we, we draw on our life experiences. And I think that that can make us better at what we do because we have more compassion for people because we know what it's like to be there and how, you know, challenging it can be. And I, you know, everyone has their own experiences they draw on um, and, you know, some brings different experiences to the table with what they're dealing with. But I definitely think that that's something, you know, as a lawyer that makes someone can make someone a much more effective advocate. Uh, yeah, as, as long as you're comfortable, you know, you have to be, some, you know, you got to be someone like, you know, like you that's comfortable enough in their skin and what, and then what they've done and what they've learned that they can talk about it. So it's getting rid of that stigma of, oh my God, I can't let my client know that I actually had an anxiety disorder, you know, a couple of years ago during my divorce. And whereas it's not a weakness, it's a tremendous strength. So, uh, I think you and I are a 100% aligned. Uh, we only got a couple of minutes. I'm definitely going to have you back if you're willing to join us another time because yeah, I'd love you're that. A, a, a remarkable resource, but kids center therapy or kid-centered practice. So I know that there's a lot of situations where you're representing, let's say, the mom or the dad, and there's kids in the middle. At what point, you know, it's a tricky question, but at what point do, you know, do you flip your switch and say, I assume you have kids perhaps, yes? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. So uh, I just, you know, I, I, you just sound like a mom anyway. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, you know, when looking at the, the needs of the kids involved in the battle, how do you, how do you, you know, tread that line over what's in the best interest of your client who is actually the mom or the dad? And knowing that, you know, you're, you also need to provide, you know, advice and direction to make sure the kids are okay. Because, you know, as you know, and you've done this long enough, I'm sure that parents sometimes, you know, look at their own interests and somehow, you know, often the kids are collateral damage, so to speak. Difficult line to, to cross, right? It's very difficult. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges of the type of work I do is that kids are often... The, the biggest casualty, uh, you know, in some of these divorces, particularly the high conflict ones. And so you have to try and, you know, really point that out to your client and try, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, parents love their ch- their child and their ch- or their children. And so even when they're at war with each other and they maybe lost sight of that a little bit, when you, you know, remind them of how much they love their children and, and remind them of how what's going on is hurting them. I mean, most of them want to try and make it better. Um, and so, you know, that's really, uh, like, that's the most important thing you can do is try and open your client's eyes to what's going on. But again, I mean, there's some great professionals that, you know, have worked with families and work with children who are, you know, caught in the middle of these high conflict situations. And I, I mean, I'm a big advocate of counseling for everybody. I think everyone yeah, can benefit. Yeah. And so, you know, certainly children in the middle of a divorce. 
Um, yep. If the parents can get them counseling, I think that's a, a great uh, of great benefit to them. I'm going to I'm going to ask you one more question. We'll try to keep it brief, but uh, definitely going to have you come on because I got so many more questions we don't have time for. Um, psychological testing, something called the Section 30 report. People don't know what that is. That's a report that the parties agree to have done, where it's an assessment, psychological assessment on all the players, mom, dad, kids involved. Um, are, they take a long time. They're quite expensive. <clears throat> are they tools that you see uh, beneficial moving forward? That maybe there's an easier way to get them done, cheaper, quicker. Like I know there's a big backlog for Section 30. Uh, therapist to provide that kind of report. I, I know that's a big deal in custody-related stuff. Um, any thoughts on that real quick? Um, yeah, I mean, those are done. There's something called a voice of the child report, which is a faster, less expensive thing that gets oh. done sometimes, but it's far less in-depth. It's really just meeting with the children, and so they have to be old enough to be able to, you know, share what they they think or what want to have happen. But it can be, you know, in some cases, a helpful resource that can be done quite quickly. And, you know, something like that might run $2,000 versus, you know, 20-something thousand dollars, which an ass- a th- Section 30 assessment could be. Anyway, it's... it's uh... We got so much more to do. Leanna Townsend is my guest this evening. She's the counsel and chair of the Family Law Group at Mills and Mills LLP Barristers and Solicitors. Uh, look her up if you have advice. You need advice. You have an issue. Uh, you're in the middle of a mess. Um, sounds to me like this is a this is a, a, a litigator. This is an advocate that you uh, you need to talk to. At least get some advice. And uh, Miller, Mills and Mills are well known, very well respected firm. So it's a great call to make. And uh, she's an excellent guest. So I'm sure an excellent lawyer. Uh, going to have you back for sure another time. We're going to go to break now because I'm running over and getting all kinds of buzzers and stuff and people throwing me off the air. So we'll do this again <laughs> soon, uh, Leanna. Thank you and uh, good luck to you. You want to bud here, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you for joining us this evening. This is Yona Bud on the Road to Recovery at 640 Toronto. Thank you. As uh, we know, you have other choices and you choose to join us this evening. You want to join in, 416-870-6400-888-225-8255. I apologize for those that have called a little late after the segments that were relevant to the phone calls. But if you do leave your number, I will call you back. I will get a hold of you. We can chat about whatever it is that interests you or have you back on the air another time. You can also reach me by email, road to recovery at 640toronto.com or privately anytime, 877 877- Seven 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 five eight zero eight. You can reach me through um, my um, my phone uh, system, and we'll be glad to contact you and get back to you. Also, want to uh, real quick shout out to Natasha's mom and dad, uh, super fans. Thank you so much for listening and uh, producing Natasha. She's amazing, and thanks for letting us have her and borrow her to do the work that she does because we couldn't do it without her. Do you know where your children are? Speaking of kids, it's you know nine. What is it? Ten twenty four something like that. You should know where your kids are, your pets, your elders. Um, you know. People that you know, you got to keep track of. Keep track of them. If you don't know where they are and you're worried about them, give nine one one a call right away. They'll go look for them or give the call police a call, and uh, they do things like wellness checks and so on. Very helpful, folks. Um, but uh, and if you're really stuck, give us a call here four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred, and we'll do what we can to help you. Sarah Pauly, she's um, a writer and, and a filmmaker. She's uh, talking about breaking her silence from a traumatic event uh, that uh, an encounter she had with uh, Jean Gomeshi. If you remember him, he's the disgraced uh, C. BC uh, broadcaster who um, got into a bunch of trouble and then uh, consequently a big uh, legal battle and was uh, released and uh, got away with it, so to speak, some people say. I I don't know. I can't uh, provide an opinion. Anyway, she's an on-screen actor. Her name is Sarah Poli. She wrote a book 
um, calling run, called Run Towards the Danger. And uh, 43-year-old filmmaker, Oscar-nominated nominated screenwriter, uh, she said a brain injury in 2015 became a catalyst for her to address her post-trauma story, her past trauma stories. Um, the story that haunted her the most was this interview uh, that she had with Matt um, Gully. The, the stories that haunt her the most. She's really talking about things like being attacked by Gameshi, she says, uh, hasn't been proven in court, by the way, attacked by, attacked by Gameshi when she was a kid. I think she was 16 years old. Her book is a frank account of her career in film and television. The most shocking essay involves an incident of alleged sexual violence with Gameshi, which she says has carried in her, she's carried it around since she was 16. The essay is entitled The Woman Who Stayed Silent. She relates how Gameshi, who was 28 at the time, hurt her during a sexual encounter at his apartment and ignored her pleas to stop. Uh, he was a former member, as you know, of the folk pop band uh, Moxie uh, Fruvis and hosted the CBC radio show Q. Um, he was accused of sexual assault, wasn't convicted. Anyway, she struggles with this whole thing of telling the story, should she share the story, uh, and carried it for years and years and years. And that's my jump-off point, just for a second here. You know, carrying baggage, the things that haunt us, the things that make our lives difficult to live, you know those things that you can't forget about that when you close your eyes you still see you still see the perpetrator or the bad guy or bad person involved in the process things that happened in your life that you just put to the back of your mind cuz it's the safest place for it to be we tend to ignore the things that hurt us the most because that's how the brain teaches us to survive but the psychological impacts of putting that kind of baggage away so deeply entrenched in the in the guts the bottom of your gut so far away that you can't access it makes it very difficult to live, quote-unquote, a normal, healthy life. She struggled with this kind of stuff for years, off and on, off and on. She says all her friends and lawyers discouraged her from coming forward about the alleged violent encounter with him, um, but she knew that she had to tell the story to somebody someday. She just couldn't go on carrying it around. And if that's the story here, the story is you need to talk to somebody. This was not an advertising you know, a shout out for people to go talk to therapists. This is a, this is a, a a piece of advice from someone who has experience and knows a lot about therapy on both sides, being a, a therapist and taking therapy, getting therapy from others. So let me tell you something: that carrying stuff around is horrible. It's it, I tell people all the time: take a knapsack, take some kind of knapsack or a duffel bag or something if they still have duffel bags, a knapsack or something that you can wear on your shoulders, on your back. You know. Fill it up with sand or concrete or stones or bricks or something, 50, 60, 70 pounds, and schlep that around, as my mother would say. Carry that around and then take it off. And how much better do you feel once you've taken it off? That's how we feel emotionally when we get rid of the stuff that haunts us, the things that we see in our dreams, which are actually nightmares, the things that we avoid, stores, stores and places we avoid because they remind us of a horrible encounter at some point. You know, the brain works, hard, brain works hard to protect you from, what, from what's happened so that it makes you, you can survive. It makes what's happened survivable. But it means that you have to re- put a lot behind you. You know, this, uh, Poli, Sarah Poli had, you know, tons of traumatic memories returned to her from, you know, grieving her mom's death and, and, and so on when she was 11 uh, to things she's seen on TV and to this horrible event as she alleges happened with Gameshi. Carrying it around, being afraid to talk about it, not being sure who she could share it with makes it difficult. Who's going to believe me? Who's going to listen to what I have to say? 
She kept her memories in a dark cave. She goes on to say, I was terrified to articulate these stories, even to myself. We can't even tell ourselves a story. I find with patients in therapy that when we start talking about a traumatic event that happened at some point in your life, they quiet down. Sometimes they miss the next appointment because we're afraid to face it. And sometimes we get so far into therapy and everything is going well and the patient is almost bulletproof, which is my my uh, term for when I think they're ready to get out and f- let therapy go and, and, and do all the things they've been taught and learned and, and worked so hard for and through. Right? But to be bulletproof means you got to let all of the junk out. you got to get it all out right down to the last little drop. You can't leave any in the bag because it'll stink. You leave the dirt or garbage in your bag and you just get rid of all the big garbage, but leave a, you know some of the stuff at the bottom, over time it starts to smell. Same too with us psychologically. You got to make sure you get through that stuff so it doesn't fester and blow up and get swollen inside you such that you can't get it out. And that's the benefit of talk therapy, mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, and other modalities that make it easy to share with someone who's trained to understand and, and articulate back to you some ideas, and so on. So if you're carrying around a bunch of baggage, you have issues with post-traumatic stress, something happened to you years ago, find somebody you can talk to. And if you can't find somebody, give me a call. I'd be glad to chat with you about it on my, on my dime. Sit and chat for a little bit and hear what it is you have to say. We'll be right back. we got more stuff to share. This is Yona Bud here, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you for joining me this evening. This is Yona Bud on the Road to Recovery on 640 Toronto. Pleased that you could be here with us. I believe we have a clip that we're going to play here for you, and uh, as soon as that re- that's ready, we're going to run it, I believe. But we're talking about how we're all reacting to the restrictions, the lifts of the uh, restrictions around um, COVID-19. Um, mask mandates remain in place, but like gyms, cinemas, restaurants, they no longer need to check people at the door. Their vaccination status, their capacity limits are lifted uh, for venues like nights club, nightclubs. Um, there are still some capacity limits, I'm sorry, that have been lifted for venues like nightclubs, sporting arenas, and concert hall. No longer a limit of size of social gatherings. Ontario capacity limits and proof of vaccines and all that is lifted. North Toronto residents met with friends and co-workers to grab a bite. Uh, several said they were comfortable with the restrictions lifted. How do you feel? 416-870-6400-888-225-8255. You cool to go out to a restaurant, not wear your mask, sit amongst a whole bunch of people, go to a nightclub, maybe go do some dancing on a dance floor while people are sweating and, you know, spewing all kinds of fluids while they're on the dance floor, right? Um, going to movie theaters where, you know, even as I can remember a movie theater, you know, is it forever, you know, always someone in the theater has a cough or a sneeze or something, right? You comfortable with that? You feeling okay around these restrictions being released and we're kind of getting back to normal. So if you choose not to get the vaccination, that's your choice, right? Uh, that's a risk that you get to take yourself. But most people aren't too concerned about who's vaccinated and not vaccinated these days. It seems to be kind of waning. We're more focused on uh, Ukraine now than anything else. But <clears throat> there are some people who are very happy that things are returning to normal. But there are many, like Rachel, who's immunocompromised. And she says she's feeling terrified heading into work on Tuesday. She says she felt the province's reopening plan is putting the burden of safety and survival on those who are more vulnerable in order to appease people who are just bored with the pandemic. It seems to me like the government's abandoning us, she says, favor of dropping everything and making everybody take their own responsibility without clear guidelines, adequate testing, or any kind of matrix. Well, you know what? With respect, uh, Rachel, let me tell you, we've had two years of training. 
My five-year-old, my seven, excuse me, my seven-year-old grandson knows all about washing hands and wearing masks and being a little distant and being cautious of other kids that are sneezing and coughing. Like he's really well trained right now because we did a good job as a society in training him. So those that are responsible are going to be responsible. And if they've got a cough or a cold or something, likely they're not going to put themselves in a public environment. And if so, they're likely going to wear a mask. And if not, they're the same creepy people that used to come into into a store or a restaurant or a, a bar or a movie theater with a cough and a flu and you know just didn't really care because they had their kids that weekend and they deserved to take them to a movie. So that's going to happen. But doesn't mean you can't take care of yourself, Rachel. You can't still continue to be careful with what you do, making sure that you're washing your hands, wearing your mask, not touching things. I mean, it wasn't so long ago people would get on a bus or a subway and hold on to the bars on top or in front to just hold you in place. I mean, I remember even as a kid before I knew I had, you know, OCD and such that, you know, I I just never touched it. It was always icky. It was just icky. You know, handrails and, 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 you know, things like that just were always just something I didn't want to touch. So, you know what? Just be really careful with what you touch and who you're around. And, you know, and the fear should subside. But, you know, for those of us that are trying to come out the other side of this thing, many of us, listen, I'm still a little uncomfortable with not sure what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Am I ready to go, you know, talking about uh, going to synagogue this past Saturday morning and I was, comp- you know, talking to, to, to my wife and, you know, we were talking about uh, whether it was we were ready to do that yet, you know, and, um, you know, lots of people jammed in a room and I remember sat- many Saturday mornings where my, my, uh, my colleagues and neighbors, you know, have colds and sniffles and, you know, but so do their kids and people are walking around coughing and sneezing and yes, using Kleenexes and hopefully, you know, now washing hands, but back then not so much. I mean, how many people, you know, used to sneeze and then go wash their hands? Very few. Now many more people are. So we should be a little more comfortable, a little safer, a little better prepared for flu season, cold season, and any other season that might come whereby we have to be careful. The Ontario Chamber of Commerce commented on the milestone in Ontario's reopening plan on Tuesday by saying the province must use all the tools to promote a sustainable and safe reopening and mitigate future problems. Remember, we had more stuff shut down in Ontario than anywhere else in the world. It's a fact, Jack, than anywhere else in the world. Our message to Queen's Prior is simply focus on immediate measures that support business predictability, and growth while building capacity with the economic and healthcare system to withstand future challenges. That's according to Rocco Rossi. He's the chamber president and CEO. Premier Ford says that the vaccine certificate system introduced last year was always intended to be time limited, and he's now only now removing it due to the advice of the chief medical officer. He noted Monday, however, that residents should still exercise caution. Not the pandemic is over. Yeah, we should rec- we should exercise caution all the time when it relates to flu season, cold season, anything where you're going to spread germs. It's, it's, a, just, it's just common sense. A number of businesses, including restaurants and recreational facilities, said that they would maintain the vaccination requirements for now, including the museum. The Toronto, the Toronto, uh, Toronto Zoo said on Tuesday that they're going to keep checking people's proof of vaccination for now because not all the animals uh, susceptible to COVID-19 have been vaccinated yet. Interesting. Anyway, it's a good time. Let's get our head around it. Let's not look for the ugly. Let's not be the negative Nancy here or the, or, or, the, or, or the Billy bad guy. Let's just make the best of it. And, you know, you got concerns. Mitigate your own concerns. Do what's good for you and makes your life safer, better, and healthier. But get out. Whatever you got to do, get outside. You'll make it work, I promise. It won't be the end of the world. And you know what? 
Worst comes to worst, you get a bit of a cough or a cold. God forbid you even get COVID and you get it fast enough, you can take pills at home and make that go away. You know, there's, it's just not the same you know, virus it was two years ago. So take a mask, put it in your pocket, have your sanitizers handy, and go out and have some fun. That's what I recommend. We'll be right back. We've got some more stuff to do. Yona Bud here, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. The province recently announced it was scrapping license plate stickers effective March 13th and would be refunding drivers who've been paying for one since March of 2020. Checks would start going out at the end of April, provided all outstanding fines and tickets have been paid up. But scammers are hoping you didn't pay attention to those details and have sent out text messages purporting to be from Service Ontario. The message reads, as you know, we have removed all license plate stickers on all vehicles, so we are giving you back $120. Get hold of it here and a link is provided followed by data rates may apply. Do not click that link. Service Ontario does not issue refunds in this manner, nor does it reach out via text. Any correspondence is done via the mail, and you can go to the Service Ontario website to ensure you actually qualify for the refund. Tina Trajani, Global News. Well, there you go. Welcome back. This is Yona Bud on Road to Recovery here on 640 Toronto. Thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, that uh, was my opening segment. You just heard it uh, on the news. Basically, all these scams that are out there, uh, understand that the government and such and people, police and and uh, federal uh, federal officers that may come and, and get you and all that, they don't operate over text. You don't get text messages to pay things or check your, your email or to check your credit card information and so on. Lots of scams out there and lots of people are being taken advantage advantage of. I'm fortunate to this, this evening to have Constable Jennifer Dagg with us tonight uh, from the Peel Regional Police. Uh, Constable Dagg, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so are we going with Constable or Jennifer? Oh, you can go with Jennifer. Okay, perfect. Uh, Jennifer, um, lots of little, like, social media has really opened the door for lots of people, especially, you know, seniors, people in their uh, over 50, for example, who are 60 that haven't, uh, you know, really experienced the world of social media. So getting all these messages about things like, uh, we've got a couple of them here just to point them out to you. You know, there's the acquaintance that you've never met. Some scammers act like there's someone that you know, like a family message. Hey, I haven't talked to you in a long time. You know, click here and we'll get together. Um, you know, your package is paid. FedEx is waiting for you to click here so that you can get your package earlier. All this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Share with us. Let's let's teach people. Let's see if we can give uh, some advice to help people uh, not fall uh, victim to some of these uh, scams out there. Well, we'll go with the first one that uh, you opened up with because it's new. And uh, on February 27th, uh, the, uh, the officers that were working on that, it was a Sunday, had uh, received a Twitter shared on um, social media, and uh, they had tagged us in their posts, and we had reposted it on our corporate account, and um, it's, a, it's a phishing scam, and it comes in the form of an email or a text, and as you said, are very common. And uh, with the new provincial measures coming into place, uh, scammers are pivoted uh, quite quickly to create a plausible situation whereby perhaps someone would believe that there would they would be receiving a refund for their license plate stickers or sorry validation stickers. Um, I would suggest anytime you receive an email or a text from an unsolicited source immediately treat it as a scam. 
Uh, wow. Sure. So it's it, so unless you absolutely know, assume that someone's out to take advantage of you and not your long lost cousin Billy, who's actually searching you out to to reconnect, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, there, there's there's the one out there. I, I, I get it at least once a month. I get a message. Uh, I can't tell you over what. Um, it's usually over Facebook, I think, or LinkedIn, or Facebook, or Instagram, one or the other. Um, they where I get a message saying, uh, uh, "Hey, you know," and it comes from a, an, an email address I under, I recognize. You know, it's my buddy Billy. Uh, hey, Yona, um, down in the in the Bahamas, having a real problem. I uh, just need access to some money to get home. Uh, can you wire it to me? Here's my information. Thanks, Billy. Uh, looks real, smells real, feels real. Of course, I know better. Um, first thing I do is reach out to Billy and go, hey, you've been hacked. Um, that stuff is really its hard to kind of sift through because sometimes if you're not paying attention and you don't have your glasses on, uh, it looks yeah. like it could be the real deal, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there's a list of like the lottery scams. There's the emergency scams. There's an advanced fee scam. Uh, there's the romance scam. Um, there's also <laughs> the possibility of, you know, with the, um, uh, the tax season coming up yeah, as well, right? right. Uh, you know, let's, that's, let's, let's talk, let's talk about that one. Let's, why don't you tell us about that one where they're, uh, it's supposed to come from Revenue Canada. Share that one with us. If you well, I, I, have you received one? Cause I have received one. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a CRA something, right? It's a yeah. CRA filing yep. or something? And uh, we are moving into the tax season. Uh, so uh, we are anticipating seeing an increase in the number of a CRA tax scam. Emails, uh, text, uh, also, you know, they advise you of a refund. And right. um, the Service Ontario and the Canadian Rev- Revenue Agency or whatever organization out there, do not ever click on provided links. Uh, do not call the phone numbers they provide. Uh, don't go to the emails they suggest or ask you to click on. Um, take a second when you see that text and think, you know, stop engaging with the text or the email. Um, there are some text or emails where it allows you to, you know, converse back and forth, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, don't, don't do that. I wouldn't suggest doing that and engaging with it. Um, independently look up the organization if it's something that you are not familiar with. Um, FedEx is another email scam that, um, that has, you know, I received those and, um, definitely do your homework. And if it's, uh, and always be skeptical, skeptical and cautious is what I would suggest. What? Um, how are we able to actually police this? I mean, you're, you're talking about things that consumers can do, and, and that's really what I what I asked you in the onset to, to you know, what, what can we do to make everybody a little safer? Uh, but <clears throat> I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I was getting, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a crisis worker. I run a crisis practice. I got a lot of people in, in different facilities and residents and such that we that we operate. So, you know, my phone is on all the time. And I do often get phone number phone calls from places that I don't necessarily recognize the phone number. And for the sure. most part, well, for the most part, I send a message saying, this is Yona Bud. I'm tied up right now. Please send your message by text. So I usually can, you know, but, but the problem is sometimes, and I, I look at my phone every time it rings. So the problem is for, you know, months on end, 
I was getting uh, scam or, or, or spam type phone calls, uh, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen a day, different phone numbers in, in sequence. I phoned my, my carrier at the, who, at, you know, was, uh, is uh, Rogers at, at the time and said, you know, can you block them? The problem is you can't. So the, the, when you start working with phones and cell phones and that kind of stuff, which is what this new, the, all these new, over the last few years, these new scams are, are focused on, the, the, the phone companies themselves can't do anything to filter or block. Um, what, what, what can you do as a, as a policing organization uh, to help people that are getting these, if anything, that are getting these you know, continual phone calls? And by the way, when, once you answer, just so you know, once you answer even by accident, you're now on a live list. If you don't answer, you're on a dead list, which means hopefully it's going to go away after a while. If you answer, you're on a live list. Now you're valuable because you're a live body. They're going to sell you to somebody, right? So how, what, what, can, what can you do as a policing organization or what can people do to protect themselves? With that, uh, depending on what phone you have as well, you can block a phone number from your actual phone. Right. Um, they will then attempt to send you another message by another phone number. Um, but if you recognize that you know for sure you know nobody at that number, you block it. And eventually you will become a member on that dead list. However, it, you can report it to a police service, to the okay. Fraud Bureau, and okay. or you can also report it to the uh, Can-Am Anti-Fraud Center as well. Amazing. Amazing. Um, is this is this the kind of work you, I mean, I, I appreciate you joining us tonight. Um, are, are you involved in these kinds of scams in terms of your day-to-day, -day, uh, uh, your day-to-day -day work as a, as a constable? No, sir, I'm not. I'm presently in media, and prior to oh, that, I was in uh, canine, and prior to that, I was uh, a coast officer with the uh, crisis outreach support team here that we have in Peel. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. My, kind of yeah. my kind of cop. Okay, yeah. so... Well, when you said you were a into the social work, I've like... I, my interest, yes. yes. <laughs> well, you can check check me out. You'll find all kinds of stuff out about me. Some good, some bad. Okay, so let's keep going here. Your bank account's closed. Uh, we're closing your bank account. Click here right now to get your uh, money transferred. Uh, banks don't do that, right? No, they do not do that. I, in today's day and age, a lot of us don't go to the bank anymore, right? We right, do right. everything on the phone. There's um, most banks have an app. Right, and then they have the uh, you log in, and then they have a secondary um, security feature. If you don't have an iPhone, then you could do it with your face. Um, if you ever question anything, go straight to your bank because that is where you're going to get your correct information. Yeah, good advice. That's me. You know that. You know you're right. If 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 I'm, you know, I, it's interesting because I get I get messages saying that this is uh, your Scotiabank account is at risk of being closed. Please get a hold of us right away. Problem is, I don't have a Scotiabank account, so there. You know, it doesn't it doesn't work for everybody, right? Um, I received the, those uh, as well from uh, the Scotiabank as well. Yes. Yeah, it's a social, Scotiabank yeah. seems to be the one they're picking on the most. Here's a good one uh, that's really tough. I almost fell for it myself not long ago. Uh, you won a prize. Go to bit.il forward slash uprize001 to claim your $500 Amazon gift card. 
and it looks so real, and it looks so like, and it caught me at a time where, ooh, five hundred dollar Amazon gift card. I figured someone's sending me, you know, some, someone's sending me a present or something, right? Um, but, but in fact, it's a, it's a scam. But it, we get a little greedy, though, don't we? Well, lottery scams. You can't legally win any lottery you did not enter into, right? Um, they will request that you pay an admin fee or taxes first before you're, you're even able to collect your prize. Remember that. If you didn't put it, your name into something or you didn't pay that $100 for that ticket, you did not win anything. Constable Jennifer Dagg with uh, Peel Region Police. Um, love to have you come back and uh, keep us informed. And I want to talk to you about the canine stuff you did. That excites me a lot, too. Uh, so please join us again. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we, you know, we're getting to that end of the show. I want to let you guys know that I love you. You are the best audience ever. We appreciate you joining us. We're hopeful that uh, some of this uh, impacts you in a positive way, um, whether you've just uh, enjoyed the content uh, or, in fact, may actually help you uh, going forward in your, some of your life challenges and struggles excuse me that's what we're here for so just remember love the one you're with kiss the people that are important to you give them a hug let people know that they're special you can never do that too much right you can never let somebody uh, know that they're special too often because frankly they don't get tired of hearing from hearing of it even they say no no come on that's don't bother you no no they love it people love to hear that they're special that they're important and that you care about them so i care about you i'm giving you all a giant virtual hug we're going to do all of this again next week. Uh, just remember, get out there, spread nice, right? Just spread nice everywhere you go, and nice comes back to you. You on a bud here, 640 Toronto.